Are you looking to self-improve and never stop learning? You need to actually have fucked up experiences in order to learn. You're in the right place. Escape the matrix. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You take the red pill, stay in Wonderland. Welcome to Notes from the Underground. You can view it as this fun thing that kind of brings the joy of life. A Kaizen journey with your host, JMC Jr. Welcome to Notes from the Underground podcast. I'm here with the legendary Cliff Baker. Uh, Cliff is an NBA trainer, a youth trainer. Cliff uh, started coaching after a, uh, a basketball, maybe career-ending auto accident. He has been coaching for about 11 plus years with various high schools, top 50 in the country, colleges such as um, UCLA, USC, UC Riverside, coaches uh, various professional players, D1 players, um, has, worked with, has worked with the WNBA, the Clippers, Nike, uh, is a Jordan influencer and has worked at, at various camps, such as CP3, the Nike camp, Ball is Life. Um, he also has a, some BS in physics, as well as exercise science, and holding, and holding various certifications. Welcome, Coach. What's up? Is there anything you can add to that intro? No. In all honesty, though, I was thinking about bringing you with me anywhere I go so you can intro me. Like, if <laughs> I had that intro at the grocery store a few weeks ago, I might have got all that stuff I needed. So, yeah. That, that was phenomenal. I really appreciate it. And I'm, and I'm humbled by it. But um, anytime I get a chance to be in the presence of one of my brothers and another master teacher and a master influencer in yourself, I'm excited, my brother. I uh, appreciate it. No, but all that, all accolades are actually well-earned, well-deserved. So, I mean, it's an honor for us to have you. Um, I, consider you I consider you to be a, a master teacher, really a teacher of the craft, a craftsman. So, um, you know, we're excited to have you here. Appreciate it, brother. So obviously, I know we, we, we had a little bit of a, of a, a break in our contact and, and a huge thing happened during that break and, and Kobe Bryant's passing. Yeah. Um, it was a loss that was, that was really felt deeply, you know. Um, I have two boys that play basketball and I could tell you that it was just a regular Sunday and my little guy showed me the, t uh, the Twitter that saying that Kobe had passed and, you know, I, I didn't really want to believe it. And then uh, one of my good friends, Quincy, called me and he, and he asked me about it. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going to believe it till ESPN reports it. <laughs> it's not true till ESPN reports it. Damn. And my, uh, my older kid called me over to his computer and he was seeing all this stuff. And he was like, look, dad, and his eyes were getting watery. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I, I, look, until ESPN reports it, I'm not believing nothing. Yeah. So, uh, we were watching TV together and my boys were right behind me. I was in my living room and ESPN reported it. And I looked back and I looked at my boys and my, my little one put his head down and my older one just started crying and crying. And, uh, you know, my daughter was crying. It, it was just a surreal experience. And yeah. um, I didn't want to believe it for a long time, long time, you know, and I, I definitely, uh, I mean, I, I tell people I don't have a lot of NBA jerseys, but I have Kobe's jerseys. I have all four of us. Right. You know? yeah. um, and I, we went to Staples Center, and uh, we all watched the ceremony at, the, at Staples as a family. And it was just, um, you know, and I, I got all the magazines yeah. that came out with him. And, and some of them I got months, I want to say months, but like weeks after he had passed. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when, when I got them and I would look at the magazine, I would just get so sad. 
Like it would get so sad when I would see the magazine. So we weren't ready. Yeah, he had a huge impact. You know, much, much, and everyone that I would talk to would bring him up. Like yeah. people that you wouldn't even think, like nurses. Oh, yeah. They'd be like, hey, what's about Kobe? And I was like, wow, I can't believe I it. I wondered, I got text messages from people I haven't spoken to in a while, stuff like that, where I, it was just crazy. Like I knew the impact that he had, but I didn't really understand the impact that he had on the world um, until really seeing the passing. Um, but yeah, man, that was tough. That was tough. And he had he had actually a huge impact for me because um, me and Kobe seemed like we spoke the same language when it came to player you know youth development where the game was and where the game needed to go um, and even just an educational stuff. I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, Kobe he had so much left to give and you know things. I have a daughter and my daughter does not relate to princesses and waiting for the prince to come. And so Kobe was the same way. I'm telling you, me and Kobe spoke the same language on many levels. So, I mean, what, where do you think we're going to really miss his impact the most? I think you hit it on the head. Um, within the lifestyle aspect of what we do, there's not been a basketball player that shared that much um, just of his life. I mean, you know his kids, you know why. I mean, he was even forced. To, the, the kid went to prom in front of us. You know what I mean? So we watched him grow up right before our eyes. Um, we were there all the way along the ride. But a friend of mine said it best. Um, he gave us moments, you know. And for a lot of us L.A. people, Nipsey Hussle passed, and it was tough. And Nipsey gave us some moments in L.A. and things like that. But then when Kobe died, you just got to see the impact. I mean, with the Mavericks retired the jersey, like all over the world. So it made you think about how much he affected us on a global perspective as a human being that played basketball, not just a basketball player, right? And like you hit it on the head, the girl dad aspect. I remember him being in the Olympics and doing four interviews in a row in English, in Spanish, in Italian, in Mandarin or something, right? And um, for a kid who the narrative then, you don't graduate high school, you know, you're not a smart guy. You're gonna have to go get this money. He broke all those molds. You know, the first guy to go at Shaq, telling Shaq he's fat and lazy. You know what I mean? So we'll miss it because he gave us a lot of courage through his vulnerability. He missed three air balls to win a game as a rookie and then come back the next year as Kobe. So there's a lot of things that I think we'll miss. And it will be hard to put into just one sentence or one day the amount of stuff that you can get from following his life. But um again, like the only thing I can do is push the narrative forward. You know, we, I think for us who felt it the most, we're in such a denial at first because we are going to miss him. But um, he gave us a blueprint and he gave us a, a roadmap with a ton of things left to do, you know? So I think it's time for us to get to work on. Them. Um, so how are you doing? What are you doing to keep his legacy alive? Because, um, I mean, we still feel the emotion, right? And it, as time passes and emotion kind of dwindles down, we tend to go back to the narrative that was before. So as a trainer, as an influencer, as someone who touches youth lives, what can we do to keep his legacy alive in terms of um, where he aspired to be from a basketball perspective? I think first is to um, define what you know we're we're trying to do kobe wasn't 
a fan of skipping steps or, you know, going around things. He wanted to go right through um, all the tough things. So I think us, one, accepting the hard things, having the hard conversations, getting rid of the word easy. I was watching some docu-series and the lady was like, something, this is easy. She was like, you don't curse in my house. It's like, curse? Like, yeah, we don't, we don't do anything easy. You know, and I think um, getting that mentality uh, across is the most important part. Um, I, what I did to commemorate a lot of stuff, when he passed, I've already been a bit of a ambivert is the word I've heard. So not an extrovert or introvert, but a little bit of both. Um, that pushed me all introvert. And I know Kobe was late to social media and a lot of the other stuff, but he was calculated when he did it. And he gave a lot of inspiration, a lot of other things. So I tried to make sure that first I took, I stepped off social media for 24 days. So I did a whole 24 day fast, no social media. Um, and within that time, I made sure that each day I was doing self inventory, making sure that I was in my reflection in my devotion, my journaling, my meditation, um, so that I can just, make sure I reconnect with myself first. And then, you know, I took my time. I watched old Kobe clips, watched some games. And so I thought about the legacy, just allowed myself to be in um, just reflection of what his career was, what it meant to me for 24 days without media or any outside uh, influence on that. So that was kind of what I did at first. You know, it's interesting because um, when I asked about keeping his legacy alive, you actually mentioned nothing basketball related um and even when i talk to my kids about kobe um i don't necessarily mention his footwork or look at his jump shot or look at any of that but i mention his approach to life in general right so people like my kids actually weren't really familiar with the four air balls against utah weren't really familiar when like you know he wasn't that good when he came out he didn't get a lot of playing time came off the bench got six minutes a game I actually doubted whether he should have gone pro uh, because he was getting so um, and but he had that resiliency right to keep on coming uh, to go at Shaq and, and it was an effort to pull Shaq to his standards like listen I, I work all day on this and you're not I need you to pull up yeah so it is so in my opinion counter to the current environment right and how we teach the game and really how we teach the approach to be a, a craftsman of the game you know this podcast it's really meant to give you a different vantage point and um it's really the theme is the game we're really in mm-hmm. and so from a basketball perspective everyone thinks we're in for trophies and so that's the game they're in but that i don't feel um that's the game we're really in um and i know kobe didn't feel like that was a game he's really in. Yep. Maybe can you, because you've been around the game so much and you've been around at different levels from you know youth all the way to pro, where is the game right now um, in that, from that perspective? Well, I think amidst the stuff that happened, especially with the coronavirus, the passing and COVID and whatnot, the game's in a space of uh, discovery and really trying to find itself. You know, we just had the Warriors go hold the league hostage for the past five years and really prior to that we had LeBron holding the league hostage with eight consecutive finals appearances we haven't we've a lot of if you think about in the past 10 years we've seen a lot of the same mundanity and we haven't seen some of the diversity that we saw before where you had a Kobe Bryant you had a T-Mac you had a Graham on his way out you had a Shaq you you had this diversity in the game where you can get beat a bunch of different ways and now you're starting to see um 
a lot the copycat aspect has always been there where people will copycat all the way through um but now because of the media access you see people doing it on the youth level so hard and so specifically and it kind of waters down a lot of the essence and the journey of getting to that level of basketball and finding out who you are as a player you know like steve steph curry couldn't follow a michael jordan model he, he wouldn't have made it you know he'd be steph curry and a lot of that is just struggling and failing failing to figure it out so i think the game currently is in a space of discovery and trying to figure out where it's going to go and who's going to take the reins in it. Um, I even for myself as a skills trainer, skills trainers went from being not on the bench and, you know, considered like a off season thing to now we're some of the highest touted coaches in basketball. Um, yeah, I, th I think you're right in that players need to find their way. And I think that part of it is that, um, at least from my perspective, we have never had this much parent involvement. And uh -huh. early in the game you know when i when i was playing uh my dad didn't know where i was playing or whatever he never asked me about basketball mm -hmm. as a matter of fact um i used to put my i used to put my court down and, and try to do jordan dunks and he would say oh that takes no skill or you just jump in dunking like you want to show me skill like i used to call him out like dad check this out look at my dunk look what i'm doing and he'd be like that's no, that's there's no skill to that you just jumping and dunking it like shoot a three like shoot from distance if you want to impress me and i'd be like okay right. Right. <laughs> but uh, I think parents are so involved now. And um, the biggest thing I think is that people look at Kobe and they say, oh, I'm going to do the workout like Kobe. But Kobe was, you know, 30 when he was doing that workout. Your kid's nine. You know, instead, I read this great book called uh, The Sports Gene. And instead of doing what Kobe, instead of copying Kobe's workout, when you have a nine-year-old, you should copy what Kobe was doing at nine years old. And Kobe was not playing basketball for eight hours at nine years old. So I want to show you this clip. This is a great clip that uh, um, I know you're familiar with uh, in the heart of a city. It was, it was a kind of a series that yeah. he was doing. And I want to show you this clip. I want to get your thoughts on it. I'm going to share my screen so you can see that. Can you see my screen now? Yep. Mm -hmm. If you wanted your child to learn how to fly a plane, you wouldn't take it to the airport. You take it to a class. With basketball, we do it the exact opposite. We put them in games before we ever teach them how to play basketball. Why would I put my kid on a team when he can't dribble, pass, or shoot? Now he's in survival mode all the time, and then he knows a bad habit. So as I started to study more, read more, it was like I built my philosophy around kind of the European model, where they're like, we'll put you in an academy, but you won't even play a game until sixth grade. So these guys are playing one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, and learning basketball. They're getting strength and conditioning, they're getting individual skill development, and they're learning the sport. And that's kind of what Kobe was alluding to. He's like, no, these European guys can play. The rest of these guys are just, they're AAU prods. And he went off about that. So now we have to send LeBron over there. Now we have to send Kobe over there and D-Wade and all these top guys. And we're barely beating some of these teams. So it's like, okay, well, to me, that makes more sense. I tell parents, your split should be 80-20 in those first three years. 80% skill development, 20% games. And in that That's way, right as long as I know how to do all this stuff, I can get in the game and I can function. For sure. So what do you think about that, Coach? I just want to get your thoughts on that. It's 
spot on. I mean, I think it's something that we've spoken about tons of time off camera um, and in just development and our own stuff for my, for my company, for what we do together with IBA. Um, yeah, it's, again, the, the tough part is parent involvement, right? The buy-in, they're the ones paying. So at that point, this, this guy right here is a trainer and a coach, so he has to provide a product that the industry and the market needs. It's just the market is asking for that right now. I mean, if you look at like the the way that reality TV became in America, right? And how you have people like the Kardashians who are, what is it that the Kardashians did again? Okay, so their dad was a lawyer. <laughs> like, if you really want to talk about it, Kim Kardashian did something amazing with like Zappos or something like that to shoe online clothing sales. But they don't talk about that. Kim Kardashian had a had a popular video. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so right. So it's like, but we feed that because none of these people that are reality stars or anything like that are going to have a following or TV or influence unless we follow their Instagram or follow, like all those things. It's the same thing when you look at a lot of this with travel ball. And I, again, I say this regularly with California kids, and they're like in what Washington or Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, so they they have more basketball players there than some other places. But think about kids that are like in Kentucky. You know, they're the best kids there. The only part of their game they get to work on is that catch and shoot, where left hand, right hand, a layup here, that. And like you said, would you take your kid to the airport to teach him how to fly, fly a plane? Plane? No. You wouldn't put them behind a simulation right away. You teach them about flight. You would teach them the classing, the academy aspect. And if you look at overseas. Look at Luka Doncic. You got pros coming over here. And that's been the case. Look at Kobe. Kobe was like that because he was in Europe with his dad playing against pros and learning the game the way he needs to learn the game. And he talks about it where he didn't, he didn't know. He only knew English. He didn't know how to speak Italian or anything like that. So he would go there and just get his shots up. Couldn't jump in and play. And if he did, you get beat and you're off to the side and you can go work out again. So we have... And I've said this a lot myself with the, as a trainer where it's what we emphasize and it's, it's going to be my fault if I emphasize to you dribbling around chairs for hours and we didn't talk about being able to catch and shoot and what your footwork looks like and at home, the mental work you should be doing and the physical, like it's not, don't be afraid of doing push-ups. I don't mean like little stuff like that, you know? Well, I got a couple of things for you actually. Um, number one is you mentioned Kim Kardashian, um, and I mentioned that really parents are the ones that are the drivers of all these things because most kids just want to play, especially when they're young. And I think there's uh, maturity levels that you need to get to before you can teach certain things, you know. Um, and I think that when you don't let them own the game and just play and figure it out, um, you know, they, they, just, they, become, they become zoo animals. In other words, they're just trained to do what you tell them. And I have a big uh, problem with uh, teaching uh, five dribble combo moves because, you know, going back to, let's say our, my era, Michael Jordan, he might've been the most efficient basketball player ever. People, I mean, give me a video where Jordan's doing five dribble moves or five counters. He did one the move. The one you counter. see is like, there's the one where he's against Bird when he scores 63. And he's just going backwards, by the way. He's just dribbling back through his leg. He's not really trying to move moves, right? <laughs> he hits him with the yeah. jet. But, but it was uh, necessary because they were going to lose if he didn't do that. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, people are not teaching the game. And part of that, honestly, is I could teach my boy a crossover, 
but until he sees it in action and his mind can read the read it and know when to do it then it doesn't make a difference right that's why you see kids doing like cross after cross even though they were open after the first one um and a lot of that is i think kids want to play for five hours they don't want to train for five hours because they don't know how to train yet it's not fun for them they don't see the improvement or the connection and they're training for five hours because their parents are telling them, I need you to train for five hours. Be the COVID. No one's cheering for them when they're training either. Yeah. Who's cheering? Like, when you go to the game, if you get in – like, you see it all the time where a kid gets in the game and they haven't played and everyone's waiting for them to score and they make that one shot and everyone goes crazy, goes crazy. If he woke up in the morning and made his bed and did the things he was supposed to do on his list, they should go crazy then. It's, yeah. What are we emphasizing? What am I pushing? Exactly. So what are you doing? Because I know that you're a youth coach and you probably talk more with kids, but it seems like that narrative needs to be, excuse me, needs to be to the parents. Um, so how are you pushing that narrative to parents, which are probably the more appropriate audience? Well, I think um, transparency is key. The emotional rapport and an emotional bank account is like how I work with all relationships. So um, with any of the parents, being open, direct, specific, caring from the gate helps because you have to be able to have hard conversations, right? Um, telling them from asking them, I, I use a regular reference where, you know, when you go to your doctor, you'll have a consult and they'll ask you some questions. But when they, you know, start to prescribe, prescribe you a medication, um, you're not going to jump down and tell, well, no, I don't need 700 milligrams. I only need 500 because I did. Okay, well, that's nice, but you're not the doctor. You know, I think as a professional, as a skills development coach, I've had to really develop enough tough skin to one, not let the client or the customer walk all over me because they feel they want the product in a certain way. Right. And for me, um, the product, I'm not a big like customer satisfaction. I try to throw that word away. To me, it's about customer success and the success isn't always going to be easy. It's not always going to come the way you thought it was going to show up. Right. Um, But it is a process and it is a progressive overload so I try to make sure that I objectively show them all the possible avenues um, and always talk about the big picture with them first I don't believe in having to yell at a kid or any of the other stuff um, if they need that bit of motivation fine um, a coach used to tell me all the time everybody's a mixture of cream and shit some people need more cream some people need more shit so it's really dependent on where they are what what they need but that's where the emotional rapport comes in because we can kind of figure out what that that is and I think once anybody under trust is a big thing and I think once anybody is developing that level of trust then you can have some of the harder conversations to get us to maybe change or redirect course to the direction we're trying to go so um I I wrote this blog article one time on the game that we're in and you know where we really the youth environment that we're in and how it's really de- it's really determines growth, right? So my, my big thing is, so for example, and I've seen it through my kids. Um, teach them this to love. an article that's the state of the game article, right? Yeah. Okay, like if, if no one's seen it, you guys should all go see it because that is, I'd send that to everybody when I need, they have a question about, what do you think about the game? I send them that article first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that like, so for example, in that article, you know, you have so many, tournaments so many players so many exactly what uh this coach said about rushing them to play and it was interesting what he said when he said they're in survivor mode because you have teams 
as young as eight you pressing and I would say uh, 95% of players in that situation are in survivor mode. Like, fuck, how can I just get the ball up court? You know, period. Uh, they're not using their skill. They're not using anything. They're, they're in total survivor mode. And then yeah. they just, and then coaches feel obligated to coach to that environment. So yeah. now we're not learning how to play now. Not like, we have to learn a press break, period. No facts. We're going to go for the whole practice hour learning just that. Um, I think that there's a love of the game, learn, learn to train, train to train, learn to compete, compete to compete. And those are all on maturity levels. And I tell people all the time, when my kid was eight or nine, um, I went to a coach's clinic. I saw Alan Stein there, who's a famous trainer. Wow. And I asked him, hey coach, like, you know, listen, man, how can I get my kid, you know, quicker and faster, you know? Um, what can I do? And he said, how old is he? I said, oh, he's nine. I, but I got all the equipment, man. I got the hurdles. I got the ladder work. Like, well, you know, just <laughs> work. He goes, uh, have him play tag, freeze tag, uh, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, oh, no, listen, listen, I got, I got the hurdles, though. I got the equipment, man. I'm ready. He said, uh, yeah, tag, freeze tag. No, that would work. That would probably be the best thing you could do for him. Um, and my kid hated it. I said, now, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to put this little workout together. And he hated life. So I put him away. And when he was about in seventh grade, he said, hey, dad, can I, can we get those stuff out, man? I'm ready to do some work on that. I was like, absolutely, let's go. I've held it for like so long. And I think we make that mistake so much as adults. Like how can you, how do you approach a nine or a 10 year old versus a WNBA player? Because the mindset's completely different, right? And they're at different points in their development. Well, I think it goes back to, we talk about like teaching, this, this doesn't have to do with basketball, but just teaching in general. Um, if a high school math teacher isn't, like, let's say he's the best high school math teacher in the, the country, probably isn't gonna be the best second grade math teacher, right? As a master teacher, you're able to meet them at whatever level they're at. So the master teacher may not even be the best math teacher, but they could teach on multiple levels of maturity. So Alan Stein makes a math as a master teacher because he could tell you, let's just play tag, right? And a lot of that comes from uh, those Florida kids that get really fast because they just chase jackrabbits <laughs> running out in, in the woods and everything. And they get in, immense ankle mobility because they're young and they're running through divots and all kinds of other stuff and almost rolling their ankles out in the sand. But that is building up. Uh, mobility and uh, ability to transfer the impact of their hips a lot of different techniques and things that are important for their development as athletes so I think that's the important thing and we talked about it earlier with the parent aspect is not needing to be right but focusing on being on the right path right not needing to always say the right thing out of your mouth but having what you said be a catalyst or be a part of the reason why we're guided into the right path. Because if it's really about the kid and the development and the growth of the game and not about yourself, then you'll remove yourself and then you'll do whatever is needed to make sure that there's customer success or success for whoever you're dealing with. So what would success look like for a, a nine-year-old? Like a nine-year-old? A nine-year-old. We're talking about a nine-year-old basketball player. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think success well, success is like for a nine year old basketball player is confidence in a lot of other things outside of basketball. Because that's going to come back to haunt them. I have so many kids that I've seen that at nine or 10 are killers. 
and they've pumped them up at nine and 10 to be killers. And so their identity is that of a basketball player. So when it comes time for them to pass a math test to be able to play basketball, their identity is not in that of a bat of a mathlete is in that of only of an athlete. So they struggle. And I've seen it actually keep a lot of players off the court. I've seen it affect their game on the court because it, it, it hurts. It's a mental construct. And I think that's the biggest thing when you're nine and 10 years old is exploring, finding, having fun, but not having your identity stuck into one particular thing. So, you know, when I started coaching, I started coaching soccer when my kid was five and, uh, you know, I, I tend to like try to really take it serious. So I got all these books on coaching soccer and drills and stuff of that nature. And I saw, and I, I ran into an older coach and I asked him, Hey, I'm, I'm going to coach soccer for the first time. You know, my kid's five, like, what do you, you know, what do you think? What, what sort of advice you have? He said, your only objective is that they sign up next year. If you keep it fun and they come back next year, you did a great job. I love that. And so that's what my whole philosophy was up until, you know, they got a little older, but, you know, we would have parent games. We'd have like trips to go see soccer. We'd have like funny, not funny, but we had like, we'd be like the Sharknados, the Fire Ants, you know? And, and I think that part of that, and I carried over to basketball, you know, in basketball, we were the Globetrotters and had nicknames and we went to go see the Globetrotters play. And um, I think that sometimes parents get caught up in trying to have the best eight-year-old instead of like, growing that game and loving that game and, and, and having their, and I personally, I think that when you allow them to play it, they find their game a lot better. For sure. For sure. Well, I think um, the hit on that is key. He said the, them coming back. And I, I love that. I'm actually going to steal that. Um, retention is everything in business is everything in life. Can you, you know, the retention of it. Um, but when I look at like, Let's talk about plants. So this is one thing that I'm trying to do now is gardening, right? Um, it's all about the soil, right? Now, if I was planting in the ground, just in, based on the soil I have right here, I have to transform whatever. If I got good soil, that's a blessing. But they say it takes about three years to transform that soil, right? So all I'm doing, regardless of what I'm growing, whether it's a potato, avocado, or fruit, whatever, whatever I'm growing is is requires that environment, the soil, the weather, the humidity, all the other things that go into that requires that environment. So I think you hit it on the head when we're saying, am I focused on creating the best eight-year-old or am I focused on creating the best soil and environment for an eight-year-old to grow in? I love that. I love that because I tell, I, I tell my boys, I tell them like, you know, my job is not to be your best coach. My job is to prepare you for that best coach. So when that best coach comes, like your, your, your foundation is ready, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that parents miss that a whole lot. Yeah. I tell parents, um, they don't get scholarships at age. So you want them to be better at when they time to get scholarships. Cause everyone says that, right? Everyone says I'm in it for a scholarship, uh, which is crazy to me. I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this subject because we talk a lot about improving basketball players and, um, and, you talked a lot about Kobe and how Kobe didn't talk about basketball when he talked about improving basketball players. And so um, I tell people, you know, if you work on your work ethic and consistency, you probably won't need a basketball scholarship because there are a hundred to one academic to basketball scholarships. You could probably get to the school. You Everyone talks about a free education, but there's a million ways to do it. Basketball is one of the hardest, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, how do you promote good work ethic? And I'll give you an example. Um, 
and a long time ago, my kid became a good shooter, but in the beginning, I didn't really, I, we didn't focus on like form or we didn't focus on, we just focused on shooting every day. Like that was it. Like, I just need you to shoot every day. If you have that consistency, you'll become a good shooter. And then once you become a good shooter, then we could kind of refine your, your, your form and all that stuff. But for right now, I need you to shoot every day. So when a parent comes to me and says, what can my kid do to become a better shooter? Uh, shoot every day. Mm -hmm. that's that's it uh, until you do that i don't care what form I, I don't care what tips i give you what coach you go to until you shoot every day it's not it's gonna make minimal impact yeah well i think micro so one thing to keep that in interesting and to keep people always doing because we have add kids i mean they've cut us to where 60 seconds is our our attention span um and it's tough for our kids because they grew up in this era so a lot of it, you can have a kid shoot every day. And I'm seeing it right now with a lot of the COVID kids running out of workouts, right? But it's about taking, you have a macro measurable and a micro measurable. Like a macro measurable would be winning a championship for our team, right? Or even winning a game. Like we win this game. But there's a lot of little things that went into the big part of us winning that game, right? And so when I think about like shooting, we're talking about progressive overload before. Um, if I'm a shooter, like let's take push-ups for example. I can't do 10 push-ups in a row. Cool, I can get to eight. All right, well, let me get eight. I'm gonna get three sets of eight today. Bang. Tomorrow I'm gonna do three sets of eight. On the last one, I'm gonna get nine. Look at that last one out. Nine. They even have guys right now, you wanna get 100 push-ups in a day? Cool, you do 10 sets of 10. All right, next week, make it like uh, four sets of 20. Three sets, or four, excuse me, four, five sets of 20, four sets of 25, three sets of 33, two sets of 50 right? That progressive overload, but I'm still getting my hundred out throughout the day, right? And when I have shooters, one of the big things I do with a lot of shooters is, are you able to make, I know you can catch and shoot that shot and I make 10, make a hundred. How many did you miss though, right? Can I have you shoot this same shot? And if you miss two in a row, you get minus one. Well, how long does it take you to make 10 now? Can you make 10, but you have to make them in segments of five in a row. So those little itty bitty things that we do as measurables to kind of change up how we're looking at just that one shot, that one catch and shoot are things that Kobe Bryant's, Michael Jordan's and all those guys had to do where it was shooting games where you give them 45 seconds or a minute on the clock with two rebounders and they got to make as many shots as they can make threes or three, twos or two, a layup is worth one and you got to make your shots. Right? So those are things that I don't see a lot of players doing anymore. Because, and I, I love what DJ Sackman, Drew Hanlon, those are awesome, great guys. But there's also the product. And so when parents are like, well, give me something to do at home. Okay. That's where the app came from. Because you weren't satisfied with the basic catch and shoots or the five by five chart or the, the, you weren't satisfied. So they sold you something that you wanted and you bought it. But, you know, uh, going back to that, actually, and I, I was going to touch on Corona because Corona is going to change society, I mean, immensely. It is now, for sure. Um, I mean, if, if I, I, just in society in general, but it's going to impact, it's going to impact basketball in a big deal because, like you said, when you were growing up or when I was growing up, uh, there was no apps, there was no videos. Um, you know, I don't remember even, there might have, there might have, I don't even remember any instructional videos for basketball. They had the uh, yeah, they had the old school ones like the Pistol Pete. I had that one. They oh, had uh, uh, Rick Torbett. Had, he had just started. He came out with a little something. This is before the Read and React 
Um, Gannon Baker had like a little. Uh, yes. So this is when they would take. Pete Noel. Yes. They would video the entire uh, camp and then they would just give you clips of the camp. So it wasn't like, hey, guys, standing in front of the thing and instructing you. It wasn't like that, that elite. So we, I used to go outside and just have my own games. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I used to like literally play like a, uh, I used to tell my kids, I used to play like Magic Lakers versus Celtics and I act like the players, right? And of course, the Lakers always won. And I would get fouled to free throw and I would miss it. And I would say, line violation, one more free throw. <laughs> <I> miss, right? <laughs> but uh, Corona, and it's, I have not done Zoom training uh, for my boys or IG Live or any of that. Um, part of that is because I just think that there's a lot of content on YouTube. You, you could get a lot of good, great workouts um, and, and you just rep on that, rep them, right? But a big, big deal is that when you had, when IBA had practice every Tuesday and Thursday at five o'clock, we forced you to be disciplined. Like you got to come to your work, right? And you had to go play in the weekends. But now there is, that's not happening. So now guess what? The discipline is on you. The working out is on you. And, and um, I, I, I don't do it as well as I should, but part of it is like, if you want to practice, here's a basketball, you have a backyard, go practice. I mean, why do you need me? How many me kids are going to quit after this is over? What's that? You know how many kids are probably going to quit basketball after this is over? Yeah. And they're going to come out with that. their Sam travel team and they're going to get exposed because they weren't doing anything. Exactly. hate basketball. Uh, and I remember I told Quincy when it first started, I said, man, this is going to have a huge impact, bro. I think, I think some guys are not going to come back. Teams are not going to come Those that are putting in the work, that are disciplined, are going to come back and kill, like kill people. So how are you enduring this time? Because I, I think you have done Zoom workouts or IG workouts, but how are you reinforcing a, the driveway player? Well, it's you. So I, me and you talked about this before. I was off the Zoom meeting IG thing, and I didn't want to do anything personally. All the Zoom IG stuff I've done has been because someone has asked me to be a part or with a group that I was already dealing with, right? But each time when I'm on there, each workout that I've taught has been teaching you how to work out with yourself. I've I've not done one Zoom or IG workout. It's like, all right, guys, we're starting at three. Ready? Let's sweat, right? Like. I, you don't need me as a crutch. I don't get you. You guys weren't helping me this morning when I was doing yoga. Adrian, whatever on YouTube was, right? <laughs> and I had to do it by myself in the thing. I didn't have, uh, when I was doing my ball handling last night, it was Nipsey and Meek Mill. They were helping me. You know, so you, you got to be able to get in there on your own. And I think the biggest thing that I can push is the narrative of the driveway player, right? Sending the picture of Kobe in the the uh on the 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 Lakers floor with the pajama pants on, getting his shots up right, doing his in and out drills by himself with just a rebounder. I don't right? know if people. And I told my boys this. I don't know if you remember when Kobe Bryant broke his right hand and he was in his pajama pants. Yes, that's the one. None is left. You know what I'm saying? Like, Only right. And so that's the biggest thing is when you have like kids don't know what off season is. We've had to force. Think about it, bro. We've had to force off season on kids. Like, no. I, would, I would question whether that's kids or parents. Okay, my bad. Let's re we've had to force off season on the basketball family. Okay? Because I, I would tell you too is that um, I 
I'm not a believer in year-round basketball up until until you get to a certain age. Like I, I do believe like um, so I think that if you practice every day but it's sloppy, I could make up that in focus work in shorter time. Well, and the other thing that people don't get is all that is cute until you have to perform because the person in front of you knows you is you is that's when it matters you're not training to beat bums you're not training to play against guys that are a little bit better than the chair that's in front of you you're training to play at the highest level and if that's the case again when they talk about muscle memory automation that's what happens when i go out and dribble some of those new moves that I just worked on, I'm not pulling those out against top comp. No. So it, it, you, what's going to automatically happen? What's the muscle memory going to be like for you in that, that situation? And if you're putting in, like, guys, we, the amount of times I've stopped a workout from players that are just lazily flowing through the world, and they're good. They're the best player at the workout. Like, if we played and had one-on-ones, they beat everybody. But they're not taking the drill serious so why would i waste your time why would i waste our time so you're done go ahead and have a seat let me know when you're ready to get back in you'll show me with your effort so those are, i think the most important things that any player anybody can do when they're not around because the character of your work ethic comes out in the game so you're teaching your players now through corona how to train how to train how to train well not only how to train, but how to watch film, how to do self inventory um, and say like, my, my left hand is weak, why? Okay, well, I can do this, this, and this with my right hand and I can't do those with my left. All right, well, I'm on maintenance with my right hand and I'm working the left hand to match the right hand, right? And players just don't really think about that. I have guys that's like, well, you know, I make these. I was listening to a coach before we got done and he was training one of these players and I was asking why he was letting the player finish on the left side of the rim with the right hand. And well, they've gotten this far, you know, we, just, they, we only have this much time left with them. So, you know, we're in season. I wouldn't change that till after season. A left hand layup. You mean every, you telling me that every day when they come in here, they can't just make 20 to get into practice and 20 to leave as an entrance and exit admission for practice. Stop. You know, so it's things like that that I struggle with because it's like you have the blind leading the blind. I hear, come buy my this and come do my that. And then you are no better than the cone that's in front of you. Besides, um, like, like, give me an example of how you, how you teach him to do self-inventory. I mean, SWOT analysis is a good way. What are my strengths, my weaknesses, my opportunities, and my threats? So what are strengths would be something that I can do at my level. Okay, no, so I... Drill down, drill, drill down for me. So do you, you tell them, hey, here's this, here's this uh, document. It's called a snot analysis. I want you to put in your strengths, your weaknesses. So I'll say to them, um, what are some of the strengths of your game? What are some of the weakness of your, weaknesses of your game? Okay. What are the, some, some of the opportunities for improvement that you have and some of the opportunities um, when you're in the game? Like what are some things you do? Like someone maybe seven feet tall. I have a lot of opportunities to score down low or around the basket or get rebounds or things like that. What are some of the threats to your improvement? Um, I don't have a hoop. I, I got one hand, I'm diabetic or whatever, who knows, right? And then from there, after we have an analysis of who you are, then we start deciding, okay, what are we attacking? 
well, these are your strengths, so we have to maintain these strengths. And then these are your weaknesses, so we have to pick those weaknesses up. And even some of your strengths, we have to make them even stronger. So that's kind of like where we start an excuse me, analyzing. Do you write that down and go through it with them, or do you have them write that down and you go through it with it, or how does that work? Normally, I try to do three. Um, I do one, I have them do one, and all these are blind to each other, so we're not doing it together. They do one for themselves, I do one, and then I have someone who's like their coach or gets to see their basketball development, and it has to be somebody who I believe would have some type of an understanding of this, at least at a basic level. So I don't, no offense to mom, but if mom's not, if she's just dropping you off at practice, then I don't need her to fill it out. But if mom hoops and she's there and she watches and da 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 cool, then she can fill it out too. But I want to get about three just so we have an understanding. And then it's we're, it's all subjective to who the per, person's perspective of you. And then from there, we kind of develop a baseline and we work from there. I actually want to get back to mom because um, I'm wondering why you don't take her uh, input into account because a lot of this would be driven by habits and characteristics of the person and not the basketball player. Correct. So, she would have a great insight if her basketball player is disciplined. Um, are they easily distracted by social media? Are they influenced by the comparison to others, which are huge in terms of development, right? Right. Uh, I think sometimes we take, to improve a basketball player, we take basketball input, but sometimes uh, there's a, there is benefit in taking a teacher, a yep. parent, a brother, a teammate, and not be basketball related, but just say, so for example, um, you can say, hey, I need you to work on your left hand. I need you to make 20 layups, right? And what I tell players all the time is, if you don't schedule that workout, it's not going to get done. And yep. if you're vague in that schedule, like around three, then uh, it might not happen, bro. But if you say, I'm going to work out at three o'clock, then the workout will be more powerful, right? You'll be consistent. These are important and you're hitting on some very important things, things that I'm actually getting to uncover right now with my family because of the coronavirus. I've had more time to speak with them. Um, I was doing some interview questions with my family. I had a concept where it was if my, my grandfather, who was like my favorite person that passed away, right? If my grandfather was back on this earth today and he's like, look, I got, you get three questions. What are your three questions? And then I had, um, someone that we've always heard about in the family, like this patriarch or matriarch that you've never met, but you always heard of that the reason why your family is here to this day, they give you three questions. And then you have like somebody that you knew when you were little, but you didn't really understand or whatever. And you get, so if you, if I was to ask those people, I would learn a lot about myself and the legacy and the things they tried to leave on me. Right. And you're so right. When you say, what would I ask mom? Um, have you heard of a Jahari window? No. So Jahari window is like a, quadrant type of thing you would do in like business development which leadership development where you're trying to learn each other and our the categories are let me just pull it up um no yeah here it is so what's known to you open space what are your blind spots unknown to you what are the hidden areas known like known to unknown to others but only known to yourself right what are the things that you probably only know hidden and then what are the unknown areas um unknown to you and unknown to others Right. And that's something that I think a mom or somebody, we'd be able to fill a lot of those things out. And if we're talking about from the person perspective, for sure, I need to know how do they respond. I ask moms this all the time. When you ask them to do something at home, how many times does it take to get done? 
because that transfers. You, I'm going to ask you to do something. You may love offense. Everybody wants to shoot. Hey, guys, working on shooting today. Yeah. Hey, guys, working on defensive stance. <sighs> right? It's going to be the same thing. And which guys have been taught that the hard work is what makes the other work easy? You know, and that comes from mom. Uh, you know, I, that's a great thing you mentioned about identity because um, ultimately your success will be uh, found in your habits. If I have a habit of working out hard, I'm going to work hard hard. If I have a habit of shooting every day, I'm going to become a great shooter. And I'm reading this book right now called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about outcome-based habits and identity-based habits. So the fact that um, habits have three layers of change, there's uh, the outer layers, outcomes, the inner layers, processes, and the most inner layer is identity, right? So if a pl most of us are outcome-based habits. I want to become a good shooter. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to become a good shooter. Instead of saying, I am a good shooter and good shooters shoot every day. So how can we transfer that belief? And again, this is to become a great basketball player, it lies in your habits. And if you study Kobe and Jordan and Bird and Magic, it was in their habits, right? Um, that they became great players. I love Shaq. Shaq didn't have great habits. Shaq is a product of his immense natural ability. Um, and if he really was a product of the habits, he would be unbelievable. The greatest player to ever play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, in kind of keeping up that theme, how can we do a better job of pushing that narrative and realize this, this is just my opinion, but realizing that greatness in basketball has little to do with basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all about the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we expose ourselves to. Um, I was actually looking something up last night, me and my wife, like, I heard, I heard you can't dream or envision a face that you've never seen, right? And I think the word she was like amalgamation is like some type of grouping of these faces would help you create and imagine a different face. But if that's the case, where you cannot do or become anything that you have not seen or believe in, you have to go see more things and you have to believe in more great things. Right. And so I think the stories are so key. I know for me as a young black man, the stories of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and um, Asada Shakur and uh, Huey Newton and all these guys who are successors, um, and made it through such tough times give me confidence that something as small as basketball or learning a language or overcoming debt, all these things like, oh, that's minor. <laughs> like, I come from greatness. My, my DNA is dope. I come from awesome people. And not only that, like, there was dope people before me that went through more stuff and went through more heat. And I got the internet and I have access to YouTube and all these other wonderful things. So I think you're, you're spot on. I love how you put it from identity to process to outcome and making sure that we follow along those lines. Um, with, with anybody, I think it's understanding that your identity can be anything you want. People always want to talk about, oh, my dad, and I'm, I was watching, I am just recently started this Game of Thrones thing. And it's always like Joffrey of his father's father's father and all these other people, right? LeBron don't know his dad at all. And his mom is little. So I'm sure his dad had a lot to do with why he's who he is, unless they built him in a lab, which I still think might have happened. But LeBron is a, but he doesn't know him. 
He developed, he picked a ton of things up from people all along the way. Shaq, Shaq's biggest influence is his stepfather. He didn't give him any blood. There's nothing genetically connecting them. But what connects them is he's seeing it, the belief in the story, right? Giving yourself an opportunity. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that we have to be able to do in our communities. Um, I just recently finished watching that Dave Chappelle, Mark Twain um, award thing on Netflix, and it was beautiful. It was just phenomenal to see how much he allowed his life and what he's been through to help shape him and not so much allow what people are telling him about himself to shape him. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I, I'm just going to go touch back on LeBron. Um, you know, people, people fault him a lot for going to Miami when he went to Miami. And I'm not sure LeBron becomes LeBron that we all think if he didn't go to Miami. Excellent. And he, he learned a lot from Pat Riley, actually, when he went to Miami. And again, it wasn't basketball related. It wasn't like Pat said, hey, you know, when you're doing that jumper, I need you to do and He was just like, listen, man, we have a schedule. We get here at 6 in the morning. We work hard. We get out. We eat right. We're on point. We, I need you to be like this. And he was like, oh, shit, this is how you do it. Oh, I got it. So that he learned how to be a champion because he went to Miami. And I, I go back to saying, because I struggle with this. This is called the transfer of vision, where I could talk to parents and talk about how to make your kid better and never mention basketball at all. Just say like, listen, man, make a schedule, make sure you're disciplined, do your work, do the hard things. If you do the hard things, um, if you do the hard things, your life will be easy. If you do the easy things, your, heart will be, your life will be hard. So just be disciplined. Uh, your work ethic is something you're constantly working on, whether on the court or not on the court. It is just who you are. You are a hard worker. You have to have that identity. You're, you know, you you accept failure. I tell my I tell my daughter all the time. Um, it takes ten thousand mistakes to become a great soccer player. You're on five hundred seventy nine. So you got a long ways to go. Embrace Michael it. Jordan. Michael Jordan said, "I'm only great because I failed so many times." Yeah, and I, and I just think that again, it goes back to the the game we're really in. And I tell, I tell parents, like, the game you're in is mastery. You just happen to play basketball right now. But if you get these habits, you'll become a, bas you become a master basketball player, believe me. Um, what are your struggles in transfer that vision? Because you are more in line. Like, for example, let's, let's remove parents and youth and talk about some of your professional basketball players that are a little bit more... Um, you know, mature and could take those lessons a little bit more. Like, how? Do, what are those conversations like? Uh, I mean, you you talking about a pro level? You don't get there until, especially now, you have to really have a lot tough skin, um, and you gotta want it. It can't be something that just falls on you. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are blessed. I mean, Jalen Hill, six uh, ten, and the forty inch vertical has all the gifts, the physical gifts, you know, but there's also a political aspect that comes into it too. You know, he would have been one and done if it wasn't for the thing that happened in China and the whole thing with Jello and all them. So there's a number of things that go into it that are off the court. And I think the biggest thing is making sure, again, they're no different from any youth, right? You just have to keep expounding on what got you here to, the, to this point in the first place. Um, there is a no nonsense thread in all of them where, they'll kick you out of a workout. Like there's guys that'll come jump in a workout. And the, the pro workouts, if we do a group, it's like four people. Five, maybe if it's six, we're probably gonna do some 
type of three on threes or something like that after, but it's smaller settings. So it's more intimate. Um, the intensity is a lot higher. The water breaks are a lot less, probably like one if that is planned. Um, and then when we get into the actual work of it, I mean, let's, let's take Katie Lou, for example. So Katie is the sweetest girl in the world. If you follow her Instagram and all the TikToks and all the other stuff, her and Carly both. Um, but Katie Lou will chop your head off in a heartbeat. Like she'll cuss you out. She'll take like bad rebound. Like she's a savage. That's why Kobe and her connected so well, because if she'll get to a certain point in the workout and I'll be like, tap in mean girl, mean girls club, mean girls club, tap in. Let's go. Let's go. Cause she's like pushing herself. She's upset. She's mad cause the ball's not dropping. And then she just switches modes and becomes this savage and literally elevates into this like Phoenix, this lady Phoenix, and then just starts going into it. And it's kind of allowing yourself to code switch, but doing all of it for the result, right? The process is sacrificing everything you can in your identity to have the outcome. Um, so do you, I mean, do you have to stress uh, discipline with her or um, journaling? I mean, what? what? Some things, yeah. Like there's things, everybody has stuff they like to do, right? Like she, she's down to work for everything. But she's also 6'3 and wants to dribble. So I got to tell her to get low. She doesn't want to do that. Those s simple reminders. And there's things that I have to do sometimes. I got to make her touch the floor. Make her, you know, she's a human just like anyone else. I mean, and there's guys like a uh, guy, Jalen Bland. He's the MVP of the Canadian League. Um, I've been working with Jalen since 2011. So nine years now. Um, he's like a brother to me. But he comes home like a fat boy sometimes. And he likes to come back from championship stuff. Like he when he, he got back from was it Greece? Somewhere and they had won a championship and then they picked him up in the Euro Cup again. So it was extended his season and got a little more money. Um and he came back and celebrated a little bit. And we got in the gym and his fat behind couldn't finish a dunk or do certain things. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> So it got ugly where he would show up and I would have to like swindle him into certain conditioning stuff and, you know, and then uh, calling his girl to make sure that she's buying the right food at Trader Joe's, like things like that. You know, so yeah, everybody has their, their um, push that they need or a little bit of fire that they like, but that's what we talked about earlier um, is having enough of an understanding of where we're all trying to go in the big picture. Cause they push me too. There's times I don't want to be there. There's times I don't want to do stuff, but they know the goals I got. You know, so we just have to make sure that we create an environment and a community that allows us to be vulnerable and not be punks about saying, yo, you need to pick it up. Um, how, because you've been with Katie Lou for a long time, right? When she was a, probably a youth player, correct? I uh, finished in high school, going to her senior year, going to UConn, yeah. So can you tell us maybe why or what in her upbringing or her parents' expectations led to her having this kind of work ethic or maybe this kind of approach to the game, if any? Katie Lou is willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to be great. Like she, she will, and she makes sure that you know that. And she tells her friends when she comes home, um, I might have to flake on you because I might have to go to a workout last minute or anything like that. Like she does the hard work and she's never been afraid of it. And um, I started working with Katie because she was working with my good friend, Jason Wright prior and Jason's extremely busy schedule 
he brought me in because he needed help. He had such an overflow of players. Um, and he didn't have the time that he needed to be able to uh, spend with them. So with me and Katie, it allowed us to kind of like just jump in um, and do some things that she needed a little bit more time on. And there were things even that she taught me in the sacrifice. She would show up every day and do this, not a shooting work, like it was a workout, but it was like the same routine with her dad before she would come and work out. And I tell people this all the time. I help her get the reps. The reason she's such a great shooter, yeah, we tweak little, cool, but the reason she's such a great shooter is her dad, John. Her dad, and he has, what? So Bonnie went to Stanford, Carly went to Stanford, and Katie, and they all played at, like, two at Stanford and one at UConn. So it's not a surprise they come in, they're all killer shooters, because he did the same stuff with them. And it was never, like, I've never seen him ever on the court yet have to yell at them or cuss them out or do anything like that. Yo, you don't want to do it? All right, we're going home today. No. He doesn't bring that type of energy to the workout. If you want to do this, then you do it. If you don't, then you fuck it. Then get ready to go get another job. That's that's awesome. I've actually had to learn that and I take that approach now too. Like, oh, you don't want to work out today? That's cool. It's on you, big dog. Yeah. I'm gonna love you regardless. <laughs> so I like that, yeah. So, Coach, take it to the last question. I know I appreciate your time. Um, oh, of course. Appreciate it. So, that, and going back to that youth league, you know, uh, we have a lot of players uh, going directly to the league, the G League, and the G League is trying to do some different stuff. And obviously, some players are going to Europe and kind of bypassing college. What are your thoughts on that, and, and how do you see that evolving? At the professional level, get paid. I'm a big fan of that. At the professional level, get paid. Yeah, if you have an opportunity for the NBA, but don't don't fool yourself, right? Be realistic about it. And if you – there's a ton of guys who made it over here from overseas and things like that. Don't be too proud to take the best opportunity you've ever had in your life. And so that's the biggest thing that I think with a lot of guys – I'm dealing with that right now because the coronavirus is going to not allow us to have summer league. So without summer league, a lot of guys are not going to get a chance to scratch that NBA training camp. So you're going to have a lot of deferred dreams this year, and we're going to see. Again, I think that if only thing you want to do is play in the NBA, you don't really love basketball. But maybe the question is, uh, if, you're, if you're training a kid that can go to Duke or the G League or – because, you know, it's a one and done. They can't go to the NBA directly. So the options are Duke, G League, overseas. What, what advice would you probably give? That depends on the big picture. Again, we got to go out. Basketball can't be your identity. So if you're saying that, like, you want to go to the NBA, you know what you're thinking, you just want to see yourself in an NBA jersey because you want to take the picture with your dad, cool. Then if that's the thing, then we're going to ride that hard line, right? There's some things that just push us so much. But if your goal is to really, like, you have these aspirations of being a winner and, and making big shots and doing all that, sometimes you got to go overseas to go do that. Right. And if the G League isn't paying you enough for you to be able to um, do some of the things you need to do, like I tell guys all the time, keep it in your pants. And, you know, if you're married and you guys decide to have a kid, fine. But kids cost money. So if you're going to do that and you think you're going to put your family through this whole G League nonsense, you you're a bit of an asshole. But, you know, they love you and they ride with you. Cool. But I, I'm a big fan of of. Um, 
taking the best thing that's offered to you at the time and making that work for you. So it's not running away from anything. Um, if you oh, guys swear like overseas, you're not going to make it and you're going to be forgotten. Build your brand, network, get to know people, learn the language, save your money. Because then when it's time to come back, you're going to have another opportunity and a crack at it and you don't want to miss it. What about college? Co oh, so if we're talking about that college guy, and it's funny, I got a kid that we're working with right now who's going to have this come up. He should go to college because of what he could do for the world. Now, you have people who just aren't college people. School is not their thing. Like, I'm a big fan of LaMelo going and doing what he did in Australia. Go LaMelo. That's great for him. Um, and even the other cat that went out there, the other light-skinned dude, he, he's good too. But I'm a big fan of that right now. Why? Because YouTube University is probably as good as some of these universities. So <laughs> you having, you're, you going and getting a loan, yeah, if you got the scholarship, that's dope. But you going and just playing college basketball, not getting any money, pushing the NCAA narrative, like, that's weak. If you need it, if it's going to build you, if you see the pathway for it, fine. My little cousin Atten is going to do well at CSUN because Mo Williams is going to be his coach, and there's a path for him there, and he needs that. He's not ready to go overseas yet. He's immature on that. But his game is ready for college, and give him two years, he'll be at a point where he's ready to lead, and then he can start making a name for himself. So, Cook, give me your, your top three um, mentors slash teachers. It doesn't have to be necessarily basketball player, basketball people, but it's just three top uh, mentors. Doesn't, they don't have to be alive. They could be something you read about. But who do you see yourself turning to when you need to um, seek knowledge? Um, I'm going to put my mother and father in one because they're married, so they get to be one. And the, the paradox and the dichotomy that they provided me has been immense. So I'm, I'm gonna start there um, because from them is the funnel and the tree of all my, my family. So they're able to bring all the mentorship that they've received and compartmentalize it for me. Um, the second person will be this guy named Daryl Harrington. Um, he is a, actually started out training his kid, but he's just been a phenomenal person in my life as far as helping me understand the bigger picture outside of basketball, but at the same time understand my value in it and then how I can be an influencer to people that really need it that I may not even see, right? And how to just be my best self in that sense. And then I think the third one, if I had to say that was like my mentor, um, the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has been immense for me. So I have to say Stephen Covey has been a pivotal part of my growth and maturity into the man that I am becoming right now. Awesome. Uh, is that the last book you've, you've read? And No, uh, the book that I'm finishing right now is Membership Economy. The, I actually carry the uh, uh, seven habits around me like a Bible. So it's, I've got like four, five different highlighting things that I use on there, which so personal, career-based, spiritual, um, mental, emotional, and then just social. And so I have them in different ways. I have the work in it. I have all kind of little tab. It's just, it's a book, like it's mine. I would never be able to give it to anybody because it's all tattered, tattered up. So the last question, Coach, is if you had to uh, provide some insight and advice 
to someone in, it could be a parent, it could be a player, but you had to do it through a book, what book would you give them and why? You're saying to help develop. That's tough. You're so saying, I like, listen, man, the best thing I can do is give you this book. It has a great insight on helping you on your journey, on helping you, you know, become who you want to become. Read this. What would it be? I'll say seven habits, especially for anybody who has the maturity level to, to get into that book. Um, it's not a, a kid book at all. You know, it's going to ask you about your principles. It's going to test you on your mission. It's going to have you create a mission statement, a vision statement. Um, it's going to have self inventory. It's going to, it's going to check you. Um, so that's the book. And I honestly believe that the majority of the self-help books and um, development books that we see out now are really just subdivisions of that book, right? That one thing grows things like that. I think that that book is kind of like the pillar for a lot of where guys work off of now. Um, but in the youth aspect, a book that you actually gave me is the first book I give any kid, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, I give every kid that book first. I believe that the way that the parable is taught, especially we're talking about like basketball players, he's, it's more of a samurai teaching archery and things like that. Um, but the life lessons that are in it, the story that's in it, the, even the aspect where you have a generational divide and the master teacher is able to still relate to the young student who is, and, and then they even the kids from America, they're in a, another country. So you have the global aspect even in there as well. Um, so I love that. I think that's a beautiful book to get kids started in the process of where they're going to go. Awesome. Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time. Um, yes, brother. You are a true master teacher. Uh, I know my boys consider you the best coach in uh, California, at least, if not they ever have. <laughs> My guy. So I think uh, I think you do great work. I think you I think you really are a true inspiration to a lot of people, including myself and my boys. So I thank you. It. You are greatly appreciated, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the court real soon. Oh, soon! Listen, notes from the underground. I am excited and ecstatic to be a part of the intro. I know this is about to go big, big places. So thanks for letting me be a part of the early groundwork. And uh, I guess I'll circle back around on episode 25 after you've interviewed LeBron and all those guys. Yeah, baby. We're trying to make it happen. My guy, I appreciate you, family. All right, coach. Peace and blessings, man. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Underground, a Kaizen journey with JMC Jr. Keep on the road to self-improvement and we'll catch you on the next episode.